Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network. Welcome to the circuits. My name is Frank Sandorowski. I'll be host for the next hour or more as we cover this week in racing, uh, where we had major races uh, in Brazil and in Phoenix, uh, with championships down in Phoenix as we set the final four. Uh, before we move on, a little bit of sad news in the racing world. Uh, we had a couple of drivers that uh, that lost their lives in very different circumstances. There was uh, Jackie Ward, um, 56-year-old, uh, late model driver, lost his life down in Florida there. Heart attack behind the wheel. Um, you know, these things just happen, but uh, it doesn't make it less easier to, uh, you know, lose somebody from the racing community. And um, at, at the opposite end of the track, young, uh, eight-year-old Anita Board, um, junior drag racer, um, Lost her life in a freak accident down there in Perth, uh, trying to get her license for junior drag racing. So, uh, uh, we'll just uh, you know keep those you know folks in your your thoughts minds and uh, you know I mean this is these things happen in racing and uh, never makes it easier. But um, so uh, with that being said, let's move on. So we were in Phoenix with NASCAR, um, one spot left, and a lot of guys left to win situation. Um, we're talking about, uh, you know, five guys gunning after that one last spot. Uh, must win, must win. Um, and then uh, the guy who uh, finishes 16th gets the spot. So I want to break this down, talking with my panel, and I'm going to introduce those guys to you right now. With me tonight, Mr. Gray Warren from Richard Childress Racing. How are you? Good evening, sir. Hope everyone's doing well tonight. All right, and also, secret here to the man who reminds me that he needs no introduction. Seth, how you doing? I'm doing good. <laughs> Christopher Darty in the house as well. Chris, how are you? Doing well today. It was a fantastic day. All right. My good friend Richard Uden hanging out with us. Richard, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Hope everybody else is doing well. And last but not least, just to add some levity to the program, Mr. Joey Barnes is having a great day. Joey, how are you, buddy? Having a great day. All right. All right. So, 
you guys watched this race down in Phoenix. Um, it was pretty neat to see Matt Kenseth get a win. He wasn't sure if he was going to get another one before his cut came to a close. Uh, but that win came at the expense of uh, young Chase Elliott, who was, uh, you know, looked to be poised to get that spot. Ran into his uh, rival Denny Hamlin. You know, some back and forth stuff there, and uh, couldn't couldn't hold on to his top spot. Um, went from. Uh, Champ jump in a matter of a couple of laps. So, uh, Gray, I'm gonna let you fill in the details. Throw it to you. Well, it was you know it, it was what the race was billed to be. It was going to be the, the last shot for for people to get in the, to make the field for the for the championship showdown in Homestead. Five drivers trying to buy for one spot to get in. Uh, a couple of those guys. Uh, Jimmy Johnson and Chase Elliott were in a must-win situation. Also, you could probably throw in Blaney into that same mix, needing needing to win to get in. Ryan Blaney started the weekend off well by winning the pole, so he looked like he had a good shot at uh, at doing it from from the get-go. But uh, you kind of knew that it, you know as as the week, weekend went, everybody was going to be. It was really going to be some come down to some some high drama at the end and of course the race didn't disappoint uh denny hamlin uh and and keselowski were the two guys that were closest to transfer already in with, with the spots i think uh keselowski went in in fourth and just behind him uh denny was in fifth uh denny jumped out got the lead early and, and really dominated the race led 193 of the 312 laps uh late in the race uh Got to a battle with uh, with Chase Elliott, and of course everybody knows what happened several weeks back uh, in Martinsville, and every, you just were waiting for the fireworks uh, to begin uh, as uh, Chase closed in on him. Some really hard racing, and uh, coming out of turn four, uh, Chase went to overtake him and pushed Denny up into the fence, went really wide, pushed him up into the fence, and... Uh, Pretty much ended Denny's day there with damage to the car. Uh, he blew a tire a couple laps later, and that and that was 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 it for for Denny. Uh, Chase went on to uh, to run strong there, uh, but he had a lot of laps on his tires, and with about ten laps to go, uh, ran down and passed uh, Chase and was able to hold him off and lead the final ten laps to get uh, the win. So that made it set up an interesting scenario with uh, a non-chaser winning and Denny Hamlin falling way down, way down the line there uh, with when he had to retire the car. And Blaney uh, didn't have faded there at the end, didn't have a particularly good day. So that, like like you alluded to, Frank, that kind of left Brad uh, Keselowski running 16th. Doing just enough to transfer into the to the final four. Of course, he had to had to had to have some luck, and he could really thank uh, Matt Kenseth and Chase Elliott <laughs> for helping him get in. But uh, really, really a crazy ending to the race. Um, I know we'll talk about it a little bit more as we get it, we get into it about the uh, about the uh, uh, Chase Elliott versus Denny Hamlin. Uh, thing. But, you know, Denny, had, Denny was pretty philosophical about it uh, when the race was over and we asked about it. Uh, you know, he, he didn't really uh, put, uh, didn't come out, you would think, you know, really mad. But I, I think he stood that, you know, uh, 
he got a little bit of payback after Martinsville, and he had to kind of realize that was going to come, uh, you know, in, in a track like Phoenix. And uh, he uh, he kind of took his medicine, and uh, he, he's he's ready to move on. When when Chase Elliott was was asked about it, you know, he uh, he gave the old racers uh, explanation. He he's going to race other people like they race him. So he was bound and determined he was going to race Denny Hard and uh, you know, throw caution to the wind. And and uh, he pretty much uh, took the measure of Denny and uh, and won that battle. Yeah, it's interestingly enough, you know, Denny has taken a lot of heat since Martinsville. And um, and then, uh, so, you know, Denny says, uh, after this, he's like, it shows that, uh, you know, he's no better than I am or he's no worse than I am. Or, or he's just, actually say he's just the same as I am, which... Uh, Interesting comment, but um, you know, but the cheers when Denny went into the wall, pretty amazing. And they, they villainized Denny, Denny Hamlin and and canonized uh, Chase in between here. And just to read like social media comments where everyone said, "Oh, it's a totally different thing." You know, Denny totally dumped Chase, and and Chase only rubbing this and that. But uh, it is like um, like Denny said, it's uh, it shows that uh, they're no different. They're both running uh, for that win, gunning for that championship. So so Seth well, or. They both got, they both oh, got exactly, and I would say they're probably even right now. So I would, I would leave it, I would leave it alone right now. Don't carry it any further. Uh, I think they both gained a measure of respect for one another in the long run, and just generally how these things uh, end up. So I think uh, probably we can put the uh, Denny Hamlin Chase Elliott feud uh, to to bed for the time being. There'll be other skirmishes. You know, in in their careers as we go on, but I think basically what the fans will look at, and reason the reason that Denny was so has been so unpopular with the fans is, you know, uh, Chase is, is somewhat of a darling right now. He's a young gun. He's uh, he stepped into the twenty four car. He's immensely popular right now, and and fans want to see him win. They want to they want to see Chase uh, shed that bridesmaid. Uh, label that he's got right now and, and get into victory lane. And he's come oh so close so many times. So I think, uh, you know, we, every, a lot of fans thought he was finally going to win at Martinsville only to have it taken away by the by Denny booting him there late in the race. And then, uh, of course, he's had some, some other, uh, other things happen to him on bad restarts and things like that. So I think that led to a lot of uh, why Denny was getting the brunt of the of – the, uh, dissatisfaction from the fans, but uh, it'll all go away. I don't think Denny Denny's got got the type of he's got the type of personality to carry that villain label like like some of the other uh, guys out there. But going on to uh, like you said, how Chase being a bridesmaid, I think this is his seventh, seventh. runner-up finish uh, before. Uh, earning a victory. Uh, his father, Bill Elliott, had six before he finally won. I want to say Harry Gant had eight before he finally won. I want to say the all-time record for a winner and uh, runner-up finishes is 12. And I want to say that was Michael Waltrip, but I don't have the stat in front of me right now. But going back to Matt Kenseth, how fitting is it that his first career cup start was subbing for Bill Elliott at Dover all those years ago, and what could be his final win was passing Bill's son, Chase. Just to put that into perspective as to how long Kenseth's career 
has been. Yep, that's that's a good point. It really is. Chase was just a little fella back then uh, when uh, Matt got his first start at uh, at uh, Dover, and, and you know probably kids was about the maybe just a little bit older than Chase is now. The record is James Hilton with twelve second place finishes. Thank you, Chris. But uh, still going back to Elliott and Hamlin, yeah, they were beaten banging. I would say Chase was maybe a little more subtle than the way Hamlin was at Martinsville. But at the same time, we all know uh, racers will be racers, and they'll find a way to pay each other back, whether it's subtle or whether it's obvious. Yeah, uh, you know, i got to say that, the you know, like Gray and I were talking about, is it was a similar move, it just that Danny's move had an immediate effect. Uh, Chase's move, it just have the same immediate effect but the same net result you know out of the you know out of the out of the championship into the wall well you've got to look at two different tracks who are racing on too absolutely that had, yeah. a, lot, that had a lot to do with it too because if you go you go in there and dump uh you know dumping dumping somebody going at Mars was a lot different than dumping somebody going into a corner at phoenix you got a lot more speed there but but still still we characterize phoenix as a short track and there's other ways that you can race them hard and, and, and do it. I think, I think, you know, um, uh, Chase did it right. I mean, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to beat somebody up at Phoenix, that's the way to do it. Just, just push them up, high, push them up out of the group, push them into the fence. And, and one, one, and one on. comment on the, the whole, um, you know, scenario from, from Denny Hamlin's point of view, and I'm trying to remember the exact scenario in the race. I know Chase went on to lead for a number of laps there at the end, but if Denny had just let Chase through and held that fourth or fifth position, would he have got in instead of Kozlowski? Uh, Chase had not won. Okay, so is it so if he'd finished say fourth and Chase finished second, then so you could yeah, argue but, there's a little bit of no, at that moment he was only one point ahead of Kozlowski because of the points differential from the bonus points accumulated okay. during that race. Yeah. So that was actually yeah. a pivotal one position okay. losing the swap. Okay. Uh, Hamlin entered 19 behind and he scored 19 uh, stage points where Keselowski didn't earn any. Yeah. At, at so, that point in the, at that point in the race, when everything transpired between Chase and Denny, um, Keselowski had rallied and was running closer to them up front, it wasn't until the end after after one of the last restarts that I think. Oh, when uh, Newman and the when Newman and the forty one and Eric Jones, yeah, Eric Jones got last restart. Uh, the two had to go really high to miss the miss a lot of that, and he lost about ten or twelve spots uh, at that time, and ne- and never was able to recover uh, that track position. And going back to Ryan Blaney, how he faded fairly quickly, he had a brake issue all day long towards town, mm-hmm. which uh, I'm not sure what his problem exactly brakes were. But speaking of brakes, uh, Chris Busher's brakes exploded and almost burned the track down. Yeah, he had a that, yeah that was a, a, different, a different red flag right there. Yeah, that's the first time we've seen the uh, safer barrier kind of... Uh... Catch on fire, but uh, Seth, elaborate a little bit. Uh, uh, going through the dog, Chris Busher's right front brake rotor exploded, and the red hot pieces of it 
just bounced down the track. A couple of them bounced over the steel part of the safer barrier and landed in between the safer barrier and the concrete wall. And it was so hot, it just lit the styrofoam on fire. Because the safer barrier, as many people know, it's basically steel tubes, and in between the steel tubes and the concrete wall is styrofoam that lessens the impact that car would have with the safer barrier itself. So it started burning in one section. As they're getting that fire out, it starts burning in another section. In total, there may be three fires, uh, and they also had to check the straps that hold the steel tubes in place to make them compromised. I know they can. there's a way that they have gone and replaced sections of safer barrier at other tracks when someone's had a hard enough hit that they've had to go back and fix like one specific tube or one specific section. But I don't know if they've ever encountered a situation like this. Yeah, I think it was the first. I haven't seen one on fire yet, but... Uh... You know, we all know safer stands for steel and foam, uh, energy reduction, safer barrier. Uh, so, I mean, hey, it is what it is. You know, that stuff catches on fire, and it's just it's just odd to have, you know, hot brake rotor pieces fly over the thing, you know. Um, I'm surprised we haven't seen it before. When, you know, if you get, uh, uh, you know, an oil fire or something, you've seen guys at the wall and have some oil fires and this and that or, or you know, or, or brake fires. Uh, but just for it to hop over the wall, just a freak little kind of thing there. But, um, you know, just, a, you know, NASCAR finds creative ways to have the red flag. Why not this one? So, <laughs> so. but now, Joey, you've got a comment about Denny Hamlin and how he managed the equipment through the day. So I want to bring you into this discussion. Yeah, I mean, I just think if, if Denny Hamlin's situation with the brakes were that he just didn't quite have as much later on, I mean, obviously you're going to go and attack the track, attract the race. Um, but... You know, we see this situation where Phoenix is similar to Martinsville in in the respect of how you have to take care of the equipment because the corners are just so difficult on the cars. So, um, and passing is difficult. So, I just think it just comes a matter of the fact that he didn't manage his equipment throughout the day. I mean, no, not a lot of people had that same issue. Uh, but honestly, if you really look at the tape, not a lot of people. He was head and shoulders above everybody two thirds through that race. Reason being is because everybody else knew, hey, you know, we got a caution after stage one. We get a caution after stage two. We really don't have thing until the final stage. And, you know, what do you really gain by going out there and, and leading laps? Like, yeah, sure, you're in great track position, but his battle wasn't necessarily just track position. I know he's trying to do all he can because you're trying to get the bonus points and you don't know how Kozlowski's going to do. But, you know, in, in a situation like that, you can't – you had clear – in my opinion, and I know it's easy to say from a desk chair versus behind the wheel, but when you're head and shoulders above the rest of the people in the race, you can manage the pack a little bit better. You can manage the race a little bit better. I've I've had a lot of people tell me in the past that it was more comfortable for them being in the lead than in second, third, fourth, fifth, because they could manage the race, manage their tires, manage their brakes, manage their equipment. You know, we have different alterations with track bar adjustments now in the car. That we have a lot of different things that benefit drivers now than back in the day. So it just feels like another excuse. And uh, this is this is another situation where Denny late in the season, whenever it's a must show up moment, he looks like he's rising to the occasion, but something happens and takes himself out. And in this situation, 
it, a lot of it was lost track position on, on the road because some of the situations they're late. Well, you know, I, I think Denny, Denny went in with what, that team went in with the strategy and, and they had a good car and the car was able to lead because, like you said, he led 193 of the 312 laps. He went in, what was it, minus 19 points uh, behind uh, the cut and he garnered night exactly 19 points winning uh winning one stage and finishing second in the other so that pretty much he, he pretty much erased that 19 point deficit and got him back you know almost on, on even keel with with keselowski and keselowski wouldn't have that great a day so yeah hindsight's always 2020 when when you look at it but but they decided that uh you know their best option was to attack and uh and take the, the fight to those guys rather than kind of sitting back and seeing what was going to happen. I understand your point. And then, like I said, there's more, always more than one way to skin a cat. And sometimes, you know, if, it, if, if, if the way you choose is the right way and you come out good, you, you, you look like the hero. And if, if it, you, look, you look like the zero, and then well, that's kind of the way it happened for Denny. I'm just saying, don't, if you're ahead by four seconds and it's near the end of stage one or you've still got 20, many laps left in stage one there's no need to continue to push that to go to six second gap because we know the gap's going to close anyway yeah and and, it, and i think you said it best some like you said when some guys like it better out front it's it's a rhythm kind of thing you know they get in that rhythm and it's it's hard to dial it back oh, so seth you've got a couple thoughts on that as, uh, as we're uh, you know coming well, up to uh, talk about sandy so seth uh, what can you add to this well, it's more about who's not fighting for the championship. Uh, for the first time since 1975, a Chevy driver will not be in contention for the championship. And for the first time since 2000, a driver with a Hendrick engine will not be competing for the championship. I mean, Ford hadn't won a championship on Ford Championship Weekend since 2004? With Kurt Busch, so I mean, the streak's bound to end at some point, right? Yeah, yeah, the streak is bound to end. It's just for me anyway. I just find it impressive, at least for the Chevy driver in general. Since 1975, that streak is almost 42 years. Yeah, that's it is yeah. remarkable. I, I agree. And, I'll say. Like you're saying too, Chevrolet had, had pretty much dominated factory championship. Uh, what until last year? Uh, they did. Of course, Toyota won the manufacturer's championship last year, but full, uh, Chevrolet had won it. I forget how many years in a row uh, prior to last year. So yeah, and then you know, then then the fact that uh, you're saying that uh, this is the first year since what 2000. That Correct. There's, there's that there's no- with the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Out of Hendrick engine vying for the championship. Correct. That in itself is that in itself is remarkable too. But it, but it speaks to the to the to the consistency and the, the uh, you know and, and the dominance of that program over the years. I I'll tell you what else it speaks to though is is think about a team like Stuart Haas Racing who were a Chevy program last year had an affiliation with Hendrick. We've seen Hendrick just drop off the face of the map this year. I mean they're nowhere near up to par for what they what they are. I mean, Jimmy Johnson was nowhere in the vicinity of what he is in championship form. But yet, here we find Kevin Harvick, who, you know, he talked about it at Texas a couple weeks ago. You know, he knew he knows he doesn't have necessarily the dominant package on mile and a half. So those belong to to teams like the, the Joe Gibbs Racing and, and the Furniture Rose of the universe. But he's he knows where his strengths are, and it's it's mostly he's seen the program improve as of late. And I think that it speaks volumes to what Stuart Haas Racing has done with Ford, especially when you look at Toyota works more in unison than any other manufacturer in the sport. I, most of the time, I think I'll speak to this, RCR pretty strict to RCR and RCR affiliates. They don't go outside the walls, right? Not too like, much. Yeah, uh, and, I mean, there is a, um, a sort of parent umbrella over all the Chevy teams. So there, there are uh, sort of the, the Chevy key, like, which are Hendrick, RCR, and Ganassi. And they do work together on a, a number of projects, and I think they're looking to start to do that more and more over the coming years. Seeing, but I'm saying that at the, at the track, y'all don't have a situation like Toyota always has. Toyota always has those like meetings uh, at the track, and drivers kind of come together at some different points throughout the weekend. And Chevy doesn't necessarily have that in the same respect. Neither does Ford. I mean, we well, see Pitsky, Roush, and, and SHR really not necessarily working on the same page. They're all trying to attack the same project in their own ways instead of attacking it together. Well, I think you're going to start seeing more and more of that, though, as yeah. as, as Chevy have realized. I mean, at the end of the day, you, you know, Chevy's the only team that really, has, or the only manufacturer that really has two key teams with, with RCR and Hendrick. Um, at the end of the day, RCR want to beat Hendrick and Hendrick want to beat So it is quite a difficult set of circumstances for them. There's obviously something to be said about backing one particular engine particular chassis development organization so uh, i think you're going to start to see a lot more collaboration between the teams and i know from a uh, a performance side on the new uh 2018 body kit that chevy have been developing there is a lot of uh, alignment there between the manufacturers to to sort of uh, pool wind tunnel term and the like to to make that uh, more efficient yeah, yeah what you had an interesting point too when you're talking about Hendrick falling off the map too. I think it's it's it, it bears it bears uh, mentioning that uh, uh, Kyle Larson has had two engine failures uh, in the last four races too, and they are Hendrick engines. So uh, I would imagine uh, the people at Hendrick are, are gonna are gonna have some soul searching and some self evaluation in the coming months, and uh, they're they're a strong organization. Uh, they'll they'll. Uh, They'll learn from this, and they'll they'll come back uh, come back strong. You just don't keep a organization with that kind of depth down for too long. The 
the one thing I'll add to this, and I know Seth, you're wanting to make your point, is uh, touching on teams that have tested at Homestead gearing up for this weekend because we know Martin Truex has, we know some of the other guys have. Uh, Kevin Harvick's actually the only one of the four that hasn't yet. Um, and they asked him about you know the reason why. He's like, honestly, the the way that the track is, the grip level changes so much and it's so sensitive, it really doesn't matter because there's such a different drop-off and such a different dynamic from what you get from testing versus what you get on race weekend that there's just really no point. So I found that interesting um, that they elected to do something different and see if it plays to their favor or falls, falls off dramatically. And where I was going to go with this, as you said, Toyota works more in unison than any of the other manufacturers. Chevy is starting to creep that way, like Richard alluded to. You have uh, JTG Doherty Racing, which is going to have a Hendrick Alliance next year, but they're also still going to be working with RCR. You have Levine Family Racing, which is going to have Casey Kane and a Hendrick Crew Chief, but have RCR equipment and an RCR engine. So they're sort of starting to head down that road, but they're taking it a lot slower than Toyota did. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I still don't know. I they're clearly this, and this is kind of a weird thing to bring up, maybe. But this feels like maybe this is a, a spur from DEI days. You know, like we saw Dale Earnhardt Incorporated back when they had Junior and Park and Waltrip and all them, and they were already constant about working together. You know, and, and they changed the way that people raced on plate tracks. They changed the way that organizations start to to change the dynamic moving forward and, and stacking race weekends. And not to say that they were perfect at it by any stretch, but I think that that kind of forward thinking we've seen spread across. So even though, in kind of a weird way, since we're talking about Junior's final ride for the final time, um, in a weird way, I thought I'd bring that. Seems to be something that's caught my attention. Yeah, and I think we're going to see more. I mean, if you go back to Talladega a few weeks back, the four teams worked really well together. Uh, if you remember the first several pit stops uh, during the first couple of segments, all the top top four teams came to pit road together uh, during that time. So, that, I mean, that shows you there was some collaboration uh, going on there. Uh, I think it's like 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 uh, sort of it's it's going to become a necessity in today's today's NASCAR. Uh, it, it's going to be it's really a fight for survival, and they're going to have to band together to uh, to, to 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 strengthen their 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 respective teams. I mean, it, it's becoming, um, as much as NASCAR tried to prevent it from happening, it is becoming a money-driven sport. And it's it's pretty well acknowledged that the budget that uh, Toyota works with and the budget that Ford works with is, is pretty considerable. Um, and in, in lots of ways, on par or maybe even higher with, um, you know, than what the Chevy teams run. So, not even smart about it. I mean, you know, Chevy can't go out and spend an unlimited amount of money, but to some extent, you know, the money they do have, they've got to be smart about it and where they, uh, you know, where they can best spend their dollars to, to get the best return. And I think that the new bodywork that they're developing for next year will help. And I know that Toyota and Ford have gained performance through that bodywork over the last um, 12 months, 80, uh, two years. So, uh, yeah, we'll see where... Uh, We'll see where they go with that. All right, guys, so let's talk for just a minute about our championship four. 
Now, we had a Brad Keselowski took the last spot with a really quiet day, you know, a mistake-free day, but a quiet day that ended up in 16th place, which, uh, you know, after all the discussion of must-win, must-win for everybody, he, he just kind of slides in. So you've got uh, Brad's in there, um, Kevin Harvick's in there, Mark Truex is in there, so Kyle Bush. So we're going to Homestead. It's a winner-take-all situation. Points are all reset, all reset. Uh, who do you guys like? And, and I, mean, I like Kevin, honestly. I I think that they're in a unique situation. I, I think that him and uh, you know Harvick and Rodney Childers are really starting to figure out the Ford package. I think they're hitting on all the right dynamics. And we've seen before, like 2014, the first introduction of the chase, um, you know, the playoffs. He wasn't afraid to take a seven wide because it really was records or checkers for him. He's either going to win the championship or he's not coming home um, with, a, with a clean race car. And uh, I think that when I look at the situation of Kyle Busch, not great. I look at Martin Truex Jr., I think this is his best opportunity, uh, period. I think after this, the new Chevy car that's coming out next year, the aerodynamic changes, things getting a little bit closer to Toyota, I don't think they have anywhere near as close uh, of a year that they've had than this year. Um, Martin should be the favorite. And then obviously Brad, who I, I feel like this is the best culmination of racers that we have over the last four or five years, all clumped up into one group, which is which is how it should be. And it's nice to, that we finally have that to find out maybe who's the best of the last four or five years. Because after this, guys like Blaney and Larson and, and Chase are certainly going to be in the conversation more so moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you that these four guys we have in there are, are probably represent the best of the best out there. You know, Martin, who's been um, just fantastic all year long. And then you've got three champions in there who are still, you know, running after it as we have other, you know, some of the older guards uh, moving away. You know, Kansas is going away and Junior is going away. And, and, and these are the guys that are fighting week in and week out. And, I, Joey, I have to agree with you that looking at this thing objectively, uh, you know, I want to say if Martin Truex doesn't win this thing, it's a travesty uh, because that's how a proper racing championship work, you know, should work. But uh, I, I've got to give Kevin Harvick the upper hand in this situation. So, I mean, yeah. Truex has an average finish of 2.2 on mile and a half this year. So he he should be in a good situation, at least be there late. And I know, you know, trying to redeem what happened two years ago. So, you know, and Toyota's and halves. But, you know, in this race, we know how they go. We know a lot of us know what goes on to, to make it to where these cars that are out to win this the championship are usually running one to four. Why guys like Matt Kins don't just come up and win a race like this. So, you know, all things in consideration, if, if I've got to pick a situation like that, I'll go with Rodney Childers every time among who's left over in the final four. And you nothing wrong with that. So Gray, I want to bring you in and Gray, you give me your thoughts on this championship four and, and who you like. Well, you've got three three former champions and three uh, experienced championship teams uh, coming in, so uh, that that bodes well for those three teams. And you've got a team in '78 that has run championship quality all year, that has got, got, gone out and done what they needed to do week in and week out, win stages, accumulate points, and win, and more importantly, win. Re- 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Aces. I, I agree. Uh, Truex should go in this weekend. Um, the favorite, and uh, I would I would expect no less for him to qualify near the front and 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 tr- try and dominate the race. But I think you got to look back. I, I agree. Harvick Harvick is going to be tough, but you've got a guy like Kyle Busch that's going in there, and really I don't think you know he's not going to go in as the favorite. Uh, people are going to be all the talk is going to be about Harvick and going to be about. Uh, um, um, True X, and I think this sets up perfectly for for someone like Bush to come in there, and, and we know he's very capable. Someone to come in and just steal the show. Um, I just don't think Keselowski has, has shown the speed. I think him transferring was very very fortuitous. He he, he used some luck to get in. Uh, I just don't think he's that team. The Penske team has been a little kind of like Hendrick this year. They've just been a little off in the speed department and been overshadowed by by, by the Toyotas and, 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 and of course, Ganassi teams to some degree. Um, but I, I kind of like Kyle Busch coming in and, and, and stealing this championship late in the race. I don't by no means think, uh, think he'll dominate the race, but I think we'll see one guy, and I think it'll be uh, Busch, uh, steal this race uh, late and steal it. And there's no reason to disagree with logic. You know, Kyle has won everywhere, everywhere and anywhere. So now, Richard, what what are your thoughts on this championship four that we have? I think we've got the probably the over the course of the season, definitely with uh, you know, with with Truex and, and Kyle Busch, probably the, the two most dominant cars uh, throughout the regular season. And then you've got you know the the two sort of wild cards. You've got Harvick, who's the ultimate closer in many ways isn't he um you know been there before got the job done uh you won the championship uh you know uh, and then you look at um you know Kozlowski who yeah, you, you don't want to say he doesn't deserve to be there because that's that's very very unfair but he just he just hasn't really inspired you this season you know as was mentioned earlier the you know the Penske cars have struggled this year. For um, you know Joey not to have uh, well, okay won a race, but then it was incumbent, and they're not to bounce back and and win another race past that. I think is you know has shown that they just haven't haven't been at the races uh, this year. My my personal opinion is that I think it, I think it's going to be Harvick that's going to 
execute the best this weekend. This weekend, it's purely all about execution. It's about going there and you know going through your normal routine, the routine that gets you results. And I think the experience that that team has, the experience of the owners, the the in that organization of going there and executing properly and and not making and I'm not saying not having to be, not making catastrophic mistakes you see on a on a reasonably regular basis at times Toyotas have tripped over themselves a little bit where I, I don't think you see such a regularity with the um, with the forecast sometimes they're just not fast but but they very rarely make catastrophic mistakes that I think could potentially creep in with at least one of those two Toyotas. I'd be surprised if I'll, I'll say this: I'll be surprised if both the seventy-eight and the eighteen both finish this weekend. You, know, you, um, make, a good, you, you make a good point about uh, mistakes, and, and the seventy-eight, even even in in a lot of those wins that he's had this year, they have had to overcome mistakes. And have had the yeah. sheer have had the sheer speed to overcome them. Uh, exactly, I think, and, and I think and this weekend, weekend, yeah, this weekend's going to be a different tale. I don't think you're, sure. gonna, you're not going to be able to to uh, those mistakes are going to be more magnified and, and, and you don't to overcome. And you don't necessarily see throughout the regular season what happens with. Uh, teams in a win situation. I mean, you see it to a certain extent, you know, in the chase races and the, and the playoff races or whatever it's called these days. But you, you know, this is the ultimate. This is the, um, you know, there's an old sort of thought in motor racing that to win a race, you need to get 10 things right every weekend. You know, you need to get 10 things right to win a race. And the guys at the Hendricks and the, and, uh, you know the 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 Toyota teams, the Joe Gibbs and the Furniture Rose and the Stuart Hess and the Penskys and the Ganassis of this world, they will get six or seven of those things right every weekend. So they they've got a good platform to build on to win that race. What that doesn't account for is the unknowns and the the mistakes on pit road and the the things that you know are outside of the driver and the crew chief's control necessary necessarily. So. I think it'll be interesting to see how they cope under that pressure and how they react to it and how they also react to other teams being in a must-win scenario as well. Because, you know, at the, some of the races this season, you know, the Kansas, for example, you know, yeah, the 78 had the dominant car, but the other teams didn't need to push them. You know, the, the four car and the 18, they're like, okay, well, let him win it. You know, whatever. We're not going to lose too much sleep if he wins. This weekend, they will lose sleep if they win. So they've got to go there and they've got to push. And it'd be interesting to see how that 78 not only reacts to the pressure but also of the situation, but also the pressure of other teams putting pressure on them, which they maybe haven't had so far this year. Wow, that's an interesting perspective, Richard. Yeah, because if you think about it, the 78 has not been in a must-win this year at all. No. I mean, no. the, the, this last, you know, the last uh, three races, uh, you know, Truex was... They locked it up, uh, you know, uh, halfway through it, you know, and uh, without having to win a race, and he, he didn't win a race, and he, you know, he's he's done well. But, uh, again, yeah, that's uh, the way this format is set up. It puts that pressure on that last race. So, and uh, if these guys raise their game to that level, uh, more power to them. If they don't, that's why uh, everybody's picking Harvick. 
So yeah, um, I, I agree. I think the seventy eight more in with more pressure on them than, than anybody else. A huge amount of pressure. Huge uh, amount absolutely, of pressure. yeah. And, and, everybody looks at it as it's their championship to lose. Yeah. It is, it is. So like uh Christopher, let's bring you in on this. Chris, what are your thoughts? Well, Keselowski's uh, won a title at Homestead. So has Kyle. So has Kevin. The only one who hasn't is Truex. Um, quite frankly, given how much Truex has done this year, I think that this is his time to actually make himself a champion. Um, and I think that would be a fantastic, fantastic story, especially considering you know what his girlfriend's gone through. Um, although I think that. If I had to pick someone else who was going to go for this, I think Kyle would probably be, have to be my second choice for this one. All right, now Seth, you've been quiet because I made you I last. Because <laughs> I, I know you're intimately watching this, so Seth, uh, I really want to hear your insights on the championship four. Well, going back to must-win situations and Homestead, Kevin Harvick's been there before. He's won. Kyle Busch has been there before. He's won. Martin Truex Jr. has been there before in 2015. He didn't win. Keselowski, this is actually his first time in the championship for since this uh, system was put in place. When he won the 2012 championship, it was the old-style uh, playoffs. And to a certain degree, he kind of lucked into it. At Phoenix the week before in 2012, Jeff Gordon took Clint Boyer, famously. And then at Homestead, all he had to do was finish 15th or better to secure the championship. Uh, And that was no matter what Jimmy Johnson did. Johnson ended up having a mechanical issue and didn't finish the race. Keselowski finished 15th right where he needed to be. So Keselowski really, at least in a championship situation has not been in a must-win spot. He has been to move on from one round to another, Talladega 2014, for example, but not for the the trophy. So you could actually argue that there are two drivers that have him, both Truex and Kozlowski. With everything Truex has done this year, it's hard not to pick Truex. I mean, he's almost won any given Sunday. Uh, he's won six mile tracks. He won Watkins Glen. He almost won the season finale, the regular season finale at Richmond. So I'm going to pick uh, Truex. And why shouldn't you? Because I think he should. I not just that I think he should. I think his team, with everything they've gone through this year, uh. Where do I start? Cole Pern losing his best friend. Everything that Sherry Pollux has gone through. Barney Visser with his heart attack. Everything they've overcome this year. It's hard not to pick them with the pressure they've been through every single week. Absolutely, yeah. It does, it does appear they were on a mission. Yeah, and like I said, I'll, so now we're getting to my pick here. Again, I've said if anybody other than Martin Truex wins this thing this year, it'd be a travesty because, uh, you know, us, you know, old guys like Gray and I, the guy that wins most races, you know, most races of the year should win the championship. This format does not lend itself to that at all. You know, I still think uh, 
Harvick is sitting in the catbird seat. Honest to God, I'd love to see Keselowski win, uh, but just the way he kind of eased into the final final four doesn't make me want to put money on him to win it. I'd like to see him win it. Um, you know, he's my guy, but uh, again, I, I've got to say. This thing is probably Harvick's to lose at this point because um, he's got the uh, just his reputation as a closer. So uh, I, I'm going to go with Harvick, much as I'd like to see uh, Kozlowski win it because I like Kozlowski much as i like to see Truex win it because uh, I think Truex deserves it. But uh, Truex won the um, the consolation prize of, uh, the, you know, regular season champion. So uh is what it is, guys. So... We have um, other championships to decide on for championship weekend between the Truck Series and the Xfinity guys. So, Seth, you want to take us through uh, what we're looking at there? Well, in the Truck Series, you have defending champion Johnny Sauter. You have multi-time champion Matt Crafton. You have the regular season champion Christopher Bell, who has a series-high wins this year. And you have... Rookie Austin Sindrick. Uh, Sindrick got in on a little bit of a controversial move, turning Ben Rhodes on a restart. You could argue that Sindrick was there. In the end, Sindrick got in. Rhodes didn't. Rhodes ended up collecting uh, Crafton in the wreck. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Crafton... Coming out of the medical center, had said to uh, TV that he had told Ben to make sure that the 19 doesn't finish Homestead. So that's a little bit of a storyline to, yeah, maybe watch, maybe not. Anyway, point is you have the head games going on. So you have the two past champions, Bell, who was there last year, and you have. Cindric, who's running for Brad Keselowski Racing, that's shutting down this year. So, as far as which one of them will win, I would say either Sauter or Crafton, just because of the experience. Bell, they've had the equipment this year. Maybe if uh, maybe if his teammate Noah Gregson doesn't get into him like how they did at uh, Phoenix, maybe Bell will have a chance. But uh, that should be an interesting uh, fight to watch in the Xfinity series. Uh, you have three junior motorsports drivers. You have William Byron, Elliot Sadler, Justin Allgaier, and you have Richard Childress Race, Denny Ham- uh Thanks, Joey. Daniel Hemrick. <laughs> Daniel Hemrick. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Going back to that championship, uh, Allgaier's without his crew chief after a loose brake hose was found in post-race tech at Phoenix. Uh, you have Byron, who is leading the series for regulars anyway, with wins. You have Sadler and Hemrick, who don't have any wins, but still could win the championship. And for the second time in series history, we could actually have a winless champion. And so, that's one of the problems with the Xfinity Series, which we hope to correct next year, right, Seth? Uh, next year, about one-third of the schedule, cut drives won't be competing. Uh, this year, it was more just four races, 
if you want to say veteran cup drivers, they could only run 10 this year. Next year, they can only run seven. But the ones who have less than five years experience can run all but the playoffs and the dash for cash races. So that amounts to 11 races out of 33. I mean, conventional wisdom says that JR Motorsports is going to walk away with this thing. But I got to say, out of considering the future of the sport and where everything's going, I, I would really love to see this be a, a mono a mono fight between William Byron and Daniel Hemrick because I think the world of both of them. Um, Hemrick has been doing the short track game for a long time. And to see him in this opportunity, I remember talking with him at Homestead, I think it was back in 2014, whenever he only made it, he made his first mile and a half start in the truck series on an oval. It was only a second truck series start ever. So, um, come a long way. And I think that it's, it's nice to see that kind of progression whenever we see these cup guys, I don't want to necessarily say squander opportunities, but when sponsors back these cup guys, it really limits how often we get to see guys like this flourish and, and rise to the occasion. And just a note on Hemrick and Byron, just how far the two of them go back as far as racing against each other. They both race against each other in Legends cars here at Charlotte Moore Speedway, at Concord Speedway. But William Byron's first late model start was in one of Daniel Hemrick's cars. Just the how coincidental that is. And mo- there's a lot of people who don't know that. Okay, so uh, Seth, who do you like for championships in uh, both series? The truck series, I'll go Crafton. All right, Xfinity. That's a toss-up. I'm just going to pick William Byron because he's the one that's been winning more races this year. All right. And I'll go with Austin Schindler just because I know his dad. That's it? You don't have another another pick there? No, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You're just very quiet. Like, I'm going to pick Austin Sindrick because I know his dad. Quiet. Yeah, yeah, why not? So, anyway... Joe, you've been meeting me all night. So, Joe, I'm going to let you uh, oh, talk God. about the Formula One Grand Prix in Brazil, where we saw Ferrari take a checker flag. So, uh, Joey, talk us through the... For once. <laughs> For once, yeah, because Ferrari had zero F- F1 before this weekend. So. <laughs> Joey, That's and, a uh, common nerve, Chris, but I'll leave that alone. Leave it uh, alone, yeah. Talk about, uh, talk about Brazil. So... I mean, qualifying was a little compelling. Lewis Hamilton crashed out of, of Q1, so kind of left a few things there. Uh, Botas gets pole. We see uh, Ferrari 2-3 right there, led by that. And getting to the race, uh, Hamilton actually had to start start the race from pit lane, um, battle all the way up through the field. And uh, off the line, Vettel actually had a better jump than Botas, so Vettel pulls ahead. It's more or less stayed that way. That was kind of the status quo most of the race. Uh, it was pretty straightforward for the most part. But, um, you know, we only a 2.7-second win. I say that lightly. Um, but Because everybody at the front was pretty well compact. We saw Hamilton go through the field, finishes fourth uh, behind Kimi Raikkonen, Botus, Botus captures second. But um, more, more often, I was actually caught off by the opening lap sequence because there were cars pretty much all over the place. In Sector 1, we saw uh, Ricardo and, and Ocon, um, or not Ocon, um, uh, Magnuson bang wheels. Um, we saw Ocon kind of, he ended up being a victim of circumstances because Grosjean couldn't hold his line going into five. And so it just, it became a situation where over the course of it, we saw four or five cars off track. Ocon, his first DNF in his Formula 1 career, 
Um, other DNFs include Brendan Hartley, uh, who I believe I believe if, and you might correct me on this, Richard, but uh, I think it was another Renault engine failure. Um, yeah, but just yeah. deliberate, apparently. Is that yeah. right, right? No, no. Yeah, okay. apparently. Yeah, we, we put it. They put it in wrong, even though Renault officials. Are yeah, they're actually, they're the guys that put it in. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not like there's a little bit of play when you put in a multi-million dollar engine into it. Oh, it sort of fits, yeah. Oh, they used a, they used a, number, a number six screw rather than number eight. God. Yeah, yeah, I mean, oh, my bad. Who gets that sort of stuff threads. wrong? Yeah. Um, Stoffel, uh, Van really? Dorn, <laughs> Stoffel Van Dorn, Dorn um, also did not finish from the opening lap sequence. Uh, Kevin Magnussen was also a part of that. I think what uh, if you really get a chance to look through this, uh, Felipe Massa, I know we're going to talk about him in a minute. Um, my favorite moment of last year, one of them was Felipe Massa walking back with the flag over his shoulders to pit lane. Crew members coming out. It was a moment that made you really appreciate Felipe Massa. I'll be the first to say I haven't really appreciated for Felipe Massa coming back this year. That it kind of hurt that moment, but he made the most of it because in his return to Brazil, he finishes seventh, finishes in the point. Uh, really good run for him and Williams in this final go. His son cued in on the radio after the race. It was a nice, cute moment. So he has two Brazilian retirement moments. Only guy in history to say that. Um, you, uh, so, sorry, just want to interrupt that. Am I right in saying that, and I may have mis- misheard it at the end of the race because I did have to, uh, to, to leave quite quickly, but I thought I heard something about Massa saying that was his final race, which I think he may be, he, he may be wrong when he said that, but it, it almost came across as if he was saying that he wasn't racing in Abu Dhabi, which I find it hard to, hard to believe. But um, he, he, I thought he said in his, you know, something about his final race. I didn't quite catch that, but I did hear a lot of rumors that they're ready to announce potentially Robert Kubica. And then as soon as that happened, Will Buxton of NBC and Racer um, turned that, you know, kind of said, hey, I talked to Williams and, and that they sputtered that quickly. They're not near a decision. It's going to be some time. So conflicting reports there. That'll be interesting. I, I'm like you. You said it about a month ago. You know, hey, let's let Felipe Massa enjoy his day in the sun, Brazil. Let, now let's find out what Robert Kubica can do for us in Abu Dhabi before we sign him to a long-term deal. And and I stand by it. I think it's a great idea, but I I didn't hear quite that. If they do it, hey, I applaud Williams for a smart decision. Yeah, I mean, I think he's been mentioned on, on the show a few times. The, the, the potential issue with that is obviously the insurance uh, payout that uh, obviously Kubica is getting for, for not being able to drive. Um, if he no. does drive, then obviously he'll forfeit that and we don't know the intricacies of that um he's obviously if he does come back to williams for a two three contract whatever it may be obviously that contract will have to more than cover any uh, insurance penalties that he'll receive yeah i i th- tell you what though kind of looking down this order uh the red bull duo of verstappen and ricardo got fifth and sixth alonso uh sandwich masa there with eighth um <laughs> sergio perez and ninth the final guy in the points is nico hulkenberg in tenth who led carlos saints uh, Holmberg first car lap down. Um, good run for Pierre Gasly. He's out of the points, but it's in twelfth. Uh, that circuit doesn't really play. I, when you really look at the the circuit, it's very hard on cars. There's not a lot of places to pass. Um, so when when you really look down the order and see some of the names at the bottom that maybe didn't. Usually we see the surprise Toro Rosso higher up in the order. The surprise Renault higher up in the order. This was really a track that featured the status quo. We expected Ferrari. We expected Mercedes. Um, I thought that every Renault except one finished the race. Renault powered car. Um, 
But, you know, there was nothing really that surprising about this weekend. I mean, it, you know, it, we know that now it's pretty much going to be Vettel to finish a second in the championship because apparently, according to what reports were, Botas undervalued uh, or Botas was underutilized for, for the race or however you want to phrase that because Lewis Hamilton can battle back from pit lane to finish fourth because he's Superman. But, um, <laughs> you know, you can't fault Botas for finishing second here. I mean, Vettel just had a when Vettel I mean I think you can speak to this Richard when you are a driver that has that kind of superior I don't want to say superior but when you have that kind of talent when you have that kind of drive and that kind of mindset and you're let's be honest the number one on the team it's difficult for number two to overtake you even if they're from another team it just somebody like Hamilton and somebody like Vettel when when they have that drive and that that ability and that want to they're not going to be stopped that day. And so I think this is just a good setup. for a ni- It's a nice moment for a Ferrari to get a win. Um, they needed it, double podium. Um, it was a really nice battle for third with Raikkonen holding off Hamilton there. But, I mean, ultimately, there's nothing really that stood out. Um, I have read that Ocon or that Hartley and – hung up on Ocon today – that Hartley and Gasly are um, almost set to be confirmed next year. Um you know, I don't know if that's a multi-year, just a one-year situation, but um, we'll see how much they like that Honda Power. Um, I know that Alonzo recently said that uh, that's maybe something to watch because there's oh, yeah. been some complaints about Renault Power. So, but I mean, uh, Honda will get it right at some point. At some point, Honda will get it right, and uh, they put too much money into it not to. And uh, you know, I think that could be a pretty shrewd move by uh, by, by the Red Bull group there and Toro Rosso specifically. I mean, what, what stood out to you about this race? I mean, everything to me seems status quo, but what, what stood yeah. out to you? Uh, I mean, it's the, there's a few tracks out there which um, tend to see sort of the, the sort of uh, Noah's Ark uh, element, as they, they call it in the sport. They do the two-by-two two, uh, formation driving. And um, Barcelona is one of them. Probably um, Interlagos is another one where driver really sort of doesn't have such an impact on the performance it is just purely the the, the car's uh, car's ability and there's a little bit of a difference around uh, Interlagos because you've got the very very fast long straight sections of sector one sector two is the sort of tight twisty infield sector and then three you know you're heading back up around the lakes there and uh, you've got to be much flat out for the last sector so you did see typically that you're you know, the Mercedes Williams, uh, basically Mercedes powered cars were dominant on the first and second, first and third sectors. And then the, the Red Bulls and the Ferraris and the McLarens were, were sort of the, the class of the field in that middle sector. But um, yeah, it was, it, it was pretty much. It wasn't a boring race by any stretch. I mean, excuse me, guys. Sorry about that. Um, no, it, it was uh, it, it was as you'd expect. You know, there was no great shock. I mean, the, the, obviously, the biggest thing from the whole weekend was, uh, you know, Hamilton uh, crashing in, um, in in practice. Uh, sorry, qualifying there and having to start from the back. And yeah. I mean, Hamilton did what he could do. Um, you know, he, he passed the cars that were slower than him. Would he have been able to compete, challenge, you know, Vettel if he'd started up at the front? I'm sure he could have done. Um, was... I mean, they, were, they were pretty stout in, in Friday. They dominated Friday practice, and they were pretty stout in F3 as well. For but, sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, it was one of those tracks, again, you, you look at 
you look at how you pass people around there, and the, the, the problem with it is the main overtaking opportunity is obviously down into turn one, into the center S there. And you look at the, the leading up to that, you've obviously got the back end of that tight, twisty section where the Ferrari was two to three ten sec, you know, per lap faster in that sector. So for the Mercedes car to get in a position to attack, especially the Ferraris, it was it was pretty difficult because they had such an advantage through that sector that they, they couldn't, you know, they could maybe gain that two or three tenths back through that final sector, but they were already six, seven, eight tenths down. So it's sort of the track played quite well or plays quite well into to making it hard for people to pass when there's not a clear speed differential. Uh, I mean, as we saw Hamilton sort of drive through the field, I mean, not being critical of it, but was it that hard for him, really? I mean, half the field wrecked in the first lap. Yeah, I mean, you lost three or I four mean, cars there, so you got a free pass on a number of those. I mean, you got you, you know the big one also got a free pass on Grosjean. I mean, anything can happen when you're trying to pass him. Uh, well, I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because Frank Frank was chiming in the chat with that. Is like he was wondering what happened with the Grosjean penalty, and that was a very guess, strange penalty, wasn't it? I mean, at the end of the day, what happened with Grosjean was he just he yeah. his back end stepped out and he collected somebody. Is yeah. that you know? Is, is that a penalty infraction is that causing an avoidable collision um hey i mean it's not bad i mean yeah you could argue it's bad driving because he's let the car go there it's I a mean, very difficult thing um i mean if you you know it's a bit like looking back i don't know if any of you guys remember um now i'm gonna i'm gonna say it's 2001 in austria when nick heidfeld had brake failure going up into turn two in austria and careered off through the grass and T-burn Takuma Sato, and you know Takuma was actually trapped in the car. It caused that much damage to the tub. But was that Heidfeld's fault for uh, you know causing an avoid you know causing an avoidable accident? I think they've got to be very very careful with how they hand these penalties out because that was a little bit um, yeah a little bit unnecessary. I think Charlie Whiting's just tired of hearing Grosjean ask questions in the press briefing and, well, and yeah. drive free driver briefing. But um, I guess just notables. So we have something more coming out of Brazil. Um, the Marcus Erickson Pascal airline, some future doubt with Sauber in the direction of things. Uh, Erickson actually outran Wehrlein in a, in a head-to-head battle this weekend, which is not usual. Erickson comes with money, but at the same token, um, and it hasn't always formed up to to that seat, but obviously showcased it good. Um, but I guess the other note I'll make is this: is what the hell is happening with Haas? Um, I, I just <laughs> You know, we've seen them kind of collapse more so in a monumental way than Ferrari. I mean, Grosjean has the penalty, but even without the penalty, let's just say he goes off course, he's still finishing 15th or 14th in this race. Yeah. And you, you, It makes you think that the chassis and the car they've developed is actually quite a difficult car to set up. Basically, they go to a track on the weekend, and if the car's quick, it's quick. If it's slow, it's slow. Um, and cars can be like that. It, it's a very... You know, you can have one car where you add an element to the front element. Often it'll make a huge difference. You'll have other cars where it'll make no difference whatsoever. And and again, you look at it and very everybody says, you know, they, they make changes to the car throughout practice and, and the like. And in reality, they don't make such huge changes. It's not like NASCAR where they take massive swings at the car to try and, you know, bring it into the track. You know, each each and every Formula One team, and this goes from Mercedes down to uh, you know Sauber. 
they will have a either obviously sour on smaller resources, but they will have a team of engineers that will pre-race determine the setup of the car going into that weekend. And if you if you want to look at it from a percentage point of view in terms of the adjustability of the car, I'm guessing they're going to be within less than five percent, maybe less than one percent. Sometimes the top oh. teams will go to a you know Mercedes and Ferrari quite and Red Bull quite possibly will go to a weekend and not adjust any wing angle, not adjust any you know suspension set. Maybe for qualifying, but they'll be pre Well, no, they can't because they're part Fermi these days. So, um, you know. What the car rule, you know, when the car is assembled at the track, it's pretty much how it races. They'll make very, very, very few changes to the car throughout the weekend. I'll do one better on this. Um, Haas has an updated, up to the same level engine power unit as Ferrari. They're on par power unit with, and we're seeing where Ferraris are now. Obviously, it's the same thing like with, with Mercedes and you got Williams and Force India. Obviously, that extra money to help with the aerodynamics in the chassis is a big deal. And that's why Force India and Williams don't run to the same level as Mercedes. But when you look at this weekend, a one-year-old Sauber engine in new chassis, um, updated aerodynamics, as updated as Sauber can get, outran with, with two drivers that we really don't know much about. We would pretty much say that Ericsson is the equivalent of a Tarl's pick. And in some respects, you know, I mean, this this is a caterum type of situation at Salver, and yet those guys uh, at Salver um, with the with the outdated Ferrari engine, they outran Haas. Yeah, and, I mean, and another thing to consider is um, my understanding, and I don't know what the Salver situation is, but I believe I'm right in saying that the Haas isn't just purely the Ferrari engine. There's the drivetrain in there as well. So there's the yep. uh, gear, typically with the gearbox because the way the rear suspension is mounted to the gearbox, that will typically lead the rear suspension design and geometry and you're never going to be a million miles away from it. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, when you're looking at rear suspension design or any suspension design, your main the main purpose and the main design points are focused off your mounting point. And if your gearbox, you know, your mounting points on your gearbox determine your rear suspension geometry. So... I'm, I'm guessing the whole rear package on that Haas is, is pretty similar to what Ferrari run. I don't know what the Sauber deal is. Um, I, I'm guessing they don't have the Ferrari gearbox and, and rear end. But, um, yeah, my only conclusion from this, because you can see some races where Haas runs well and then others were like, they haven't got a clue what's going on. Um, it's purely that the car is just very, very numb to setup changes. Um, and Or, potentially, and I don't know, Haas don't have the resources and don't have the experience and don't understand the changes to the car. So they, their sort of success week to week is based upon, um, you know, how, how it basically rolls rolls off the truck. I mean, I, I think when you look at Sauber, the way Toro Rosso has performed this year, I think that's where you're going to see Sauber next year. They're going to be in that sure. 7 to 10. I mean, just they're going to have the drivers. I mean, even if Wehrlein is still there, um, everybody knows the that the player is going to be yeah. amazing. Um, that chassis is obviously proved to be, I feel like that's almost like a McLaren situation. Chassis proved it's worth, we're just waiting for more power. Um, yeah. that said, I guess uh, not to, I know Frank wants to kind of close the show up, but I guess I'll leave it with this. It makes you wonder if it's not just a matter of resources, but we continue to see, uh, drivers.
who don't really necessarily have that winning experience, and this isn't a knock on, on somebody like Magnuson who's still new to the F1 scene relatively, somebody like Grosjean's never been in a winning situation. So uh, you look at Williams, they went out and they grabbed Felipe Massa uh, some years ago, and they put him with Valtteri Bottas. You know, when you see a situation like that, Felipe Massa was there to help develop Williams in a year because they were down for a little while. Um, they're not nearly as down as they once were. It makes you wonder if maybe we they should rethink things at Haas. Not necessarily saying Ash Grosjean. Grosjean's a hell of a talent, but I think that at the same token, the infrastructure has to be built to, to I don't want to say coddle the drivers, but build some more stability and continuity because clearly there's conflicting engineering going on here for them to be a dud or, or something good on a weekend. Well, it's, it's, it's like... You know, almost going back to what we discussed earlier, you know, going into Homestead this weekend, it's purely about execution. You know, it's about going through, the, and I know there's variables in it, and you know, that do get thrown in, but if you take Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, these top guys, again, they will get seven or eight of the things that they need to do to win a race or get the optimum performance out of their car. They'll get those things right every weekend because they're experienced, because they know how to execute the plan. They know how the car is going to react to a certain change. Very rarely these days, in Formula 1, do you hear a driver say, oh, we made changes to the car, it didn't do what we expect. Um, very, very rarely do you get feedback like that. It's, I think it is, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think the issue at, um, at Haas is, is driver-driven. I think it is engineering-driven, and that's not necessarily engineering by design, but engineering by setup and by development. I mean, you look. You go back to the late '90s and McLaren. They had. I mean, Coulthard had won a couple of races and Hakkinen had, you know, been competitive. But you know, they went and dominated. Dominated '98 and '99 with drivers that didn't have you know great championship experience, um, but they executed properly and they executed repeatedly um, and efficiently. And I think that's where some of the smaller teams and the newer teams do struggle. Uh, is, is this? concept of execution and, and knowing how to react when something isn't right and having procedures in place it's a very formal is a very sterile environment and uh, you know it's it's um not all about you know driving by the seat of your pants and the sort of the gilles Villeneuve sort of style driving it's all about almost like it's almost like a air traffic control for want of a better word you know Everything should be very mundane and very boring, you know, and you just execute. Yeah, I guess the one counter argument to make against ourselves here in some respect would be that, you know, Haas joined pre-2017, pre-crazy fat tires, new aerodynamic era. So having to adapt to two different eras of car uh, from, a, from an aerodynamic standpoint and from, a, from a, just a power standpoint um, certainly doesn't help their, their argument there. But um, anyway, there's not an F1 race this weekend. All the focus is on the championship finale for NASCAR. So um, as far think, as picks Do you think Lewis will be there this weekend? Oh, gosh. In Homestead? He might be. I don't know. So, oh, he will listen, be. Listen, I, I have one more Anywhere thought. there's a camera, Lewis will be. <laughs> I got one last before we move on. Um, you know, I know Gene Haas is sitting for the long haul. And it says he, um, that he's really in for the long haul. Um, because of his pocket, you know, we still haven't seen a major um, sponsor on that car. Um, do you think there's going to be, he's going to be a couple years in and out, or do you think he's going to try to the, build that thing? The point of Haas uh, Formula One effort 
wants to grow the Haas brand, his CNC machining, et cetera. And, you know, he said this at, at Coda uh, last month is that it's done all of that. You know, he, he had shows in Germany and this and that and the other. And um, that said, once you've already reached that ceiling of, of having kind of that global brand recognition, if your Formula One team isn't up to snuff, invest in it a little bit more than you already are, which is a tall order to ask and a, and a huge investment to try to barter for. Or you've already done the goal, so what do you have to gain from it? And you close it down, you continue your, your uh, world domination with your CNC machinery. I, I think that if they don't get their act together, they're dangerously I – mean, this feels like the U.S. soccer team now that I can bring soccer in a conversation. Uh-huh, uh, all the, all the Irish stuck at the same. Oh, you, you guys have been trying oh, all night to work but, that into the show. But uh, <laughs> I think that they're – but I think that if they don't watch it, they're dangerously close to becoming the afterthought of the grid, the next Caterham, the next Marussia, because the money to put into it, the engineering situation like what, what Richard was alluding to, and let's, I mean, let's be honest, um, they're not in a situation where they can bring over a winning, uh, an older winning veteran. I mean, I'm sorry, but Kimi Raikkonen isn't going to just be like, you know, my time's done at Ferrari. I think I'm going to go to Haas. Like no, like, so you're not going to be able to get anybody of veteran status to help lead that team either. And I think that they don't. Once you they hit their peak, I, I wouldn't be surprised to get out. So I guess I don't know if that answers your question or not. But yeah, yeah. that, that yeah, does I mean, answer my question. I if I can, I, I don't know his goals were, were were not entirely revolved around you know winning and becoming a for one team. But I just I just at this and, point I don't know if she's oh, in for the, the long haul. The reason I say a lot of that, though, is because I see how much Honda is getting invested in this sport. I see how much Renault is starting to back McLaren. You're starting to see the pieces of the puzzle fit together before we get to 2020, 2021 on those rule regulation changes. And I think that because of that, and we already know what McLaren are. We know how much they want to win, how much they want to build that chassis up. We know what Williams are. You know, it's safe to say that Sauber fluctuates, you know, a couple for, for five or six years. They're kind of a mid-pack team for another five or six years. They're kind of in the back. Uh, so they just flip-flop depending on that occasion. So um, the unknown here is Haas, and it really comes down yeah. to them. I mean, yeah, I well, think... but when you compare them to Williams and McLaren, no, I mean, no. No. These, these are teams that have been in the sport for decades. That, that, so know, that a... know the ups and downs and... You know, but that's but that's my point really though. Really understand like, story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but that's, but that's, that's my point is when you see them in and ship it in, they were trying to do the same thing at Haas and where are they now? If I can just uh, just quickly step in here, there's sort of two or three points I wanted to make on this thing with Haas. You, you look at the Red Bull model. The, they the reason Red Bull got involved was for exactly the same reason that Haas have got involved. Although with Red Bull they bought an old team out or bought another team out. You know that was to develop their brand in the Far East, uh, and, and they've done that. Um, and now they're sort of like, well, what's our next phase? Where's the, where's the next step? They come in and they're now looking to partner with other big technology companies and big engine partners around the world. So you're going to um, you're going to see that come through with Red Bull. Now on the Haas side, you know, Gene Haas, I, th- I think from his perspective, it would be the the publicity from growing his brand and then disbanding a Formula One team would be far worse than never having a Formula 1 team in the first place. And I think that Gene is a little bit smarter than that. I think he will you know, he will stick with it and he will look to bring in another or other predominantly US-based brands that want to grow their market share around the world and and see where you know that will take them. 
But the interesting point, going back to, to what was being discussed earlier, where do Haas fit into the hierarchy of Formula One? They are, from off the top of my head, there are three teams out there in Formula One now, and I think three of them have never won a world championship, uh, being Toro, Sauber, and Haas. I believe every other team has won at least one championship, uh, and or multiple Force championships. Uh, yeah, Force correct. Force India. So I would put Force India and Haas in the same bracket there together. You know, Sauber are marketing themselves as the Ferrari junior team, and Toro Rosso, obviously, the Red Bull junior team. So you look at Force India and Haas, and, and basically, they they turn themselves into a walk. You know, a, basically a, a, a mobile billboard. You know, that's what they become. They become a branding uh, exercise, and obviously, Force India's had that with the Indian economy and attracting Indian sponsors. Haas is trying to do that with. US sponsors, and I mean, this is the first time in a long time that I don't think I've heard any rumors of Force India shutting down. Um, it's because Vijay Malia got arrested again. Well, yeah, so. Again. I, again, yeah. He's, he's, uh, he's, good, he's probably good. got a loyalty card with the, uh, you know, isn't he? I mean, it's, that's, that's a good point that you. That's a good person, though, that you bring up is the fact that, like, I mean, realistically, if you look at this model, Force India didn't light the world on fire coming in, and they were up against it. So, and, and I would say that that's kind of of the ceiling for Haas. Like, the floor is Caterham out of the yep. sport and gone, and I think the ceiling is probably your Force India, and it is just about how much dedication and investment Haas really wants to put in his Formula One venture, because it, it clearly it has to be more than what we've seen. Yeah, and, and I think and, he's and I using still, it as a... Just let me throw this in. I still yeah. wonder, you know, when um, Gene uh, moved his uh, NASCAR team over to Ford, uh, you know, Ford has a long history of Formula One. If there's not something brewing for the next decade there, just saying. I mean, there may very well be. The only thing to sort of counter that is Ford haven't been involved in any of these 2020, 2021 engine negotiations that have been going on within the sport. And you'd thought if a global brand such as Ford wants to get involved, they'd be at the opinions known pretty... Uh, you would think, yeah. So, yeah, good point, Richard, so... Um, with that being said, I want to give Chris a little bit of time. We've been sitting over here kind of quiet. Chris, are you still awake? Yeah, right over here. Okay. So you were um, uh, talking about the uh, Lucas Oil School of Racing down in NOLA, and this is going to be a uh, next generation of drivers. Uh, we'll see an open wheel and uh, get some pretty exciting news to share. Yeah, so one of the guys Team USA scholarship this year at the Walter East Trip Race and at the uh, Funnel Force Festival, Aaron Alzong, he's from the uh, southwest portion of Louisiana, and he was running in the Lucas Oil School Racing, which is how he actually ended up getting noticed by uh, Jeremy Shaw and all those guys. Uh, he ended up races at uh, Nolan Motorsports Park this past weekend and it set a new track record for those kinds of cars at the track. Um, it was really just great to see. Well, I didn't obviously I didn't see it because I was up in Indianapolis, but it was great to hear that you know a guy from Louisiana won at the Louisiana track you know, coming in with the Team USA uh, fire suit on as well. So it was a great publicity for him just to be able to get down there and win all that. Uh, I was happy to see the posts about him winning. That's all I really had uh, about him, but it was great to see. He's also going to be at the Road to Indies uh, shootout coming up in December with Jonathan Kodak and several other uh, guys from around the world that are going to be running there. Now, where you said that was a Cody said? No, um, the uh, scholarship is going to be at. It's I think it's somewhere in Arizona that in December. Uh, Phoenix Raceway or the one he's called or. Um, it's at it's at Lucas Oil. 
and then it'll be in Phoenix. It won't be at Phoenix Raceway, I don't believe. Yeah, but, but that'd be, be the one they, they, they used to call it, what, the Fire, Firebird Raceway? I don't know. I'm actually right now. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be there either. But, yeah, I mean, he was saying Jonathan Kodak, not Koda. But, yeah, Kodak's another another guy that was out there for the Walter Trophy, Walter Hay situation, Team USA scholarship, whatever. Man. All, right, all right, cool. So now um, we're, we're up against our uh, window here, so uh, let's go we're around. Not. Don't, don't lie to the fans. They love us. Maybe not you. Man. So you so mean Bondurant Racing School. Yep, that's the that's one. where it's going to be. Bondurant Racing School. That's it. Um, yeah, it's definitely not soil. My bad. No, but that but that's the old um, Firebird Raceway. It used to be called Firebird Raceway out of Phoenix. Isn't that where uh, Aaron, Aaron, so, Senna, Aaron Senna drove a Penske? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, that's where Senna drove a Penske there, wasn't it? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's Bob Bondurant, who is my wife's uh, great uncle. We're in this art, art really awkward part of the show where there's like silence after every one of us I, talks. I, I, I think it, I think it is about time. All right, just I was gonna say I was gonna go around for final thoughts, yeah, because we're just about done here. So, Gray, my man, you've been quiet through this whole Formula One thing. So we got a NASCAR Championship weekend for all three series at Homestead. Uh, but what are your final thoughts for the evening? I'm looking forward to a good race. We've got uh, we've got four quality contenders uh, shooting it out for the uh, championship. It's going to be winner take all, and I'm looking forward to a to a heck of a race Sunday evening. Awesome. Seth, what are your final thoughts going into the championship weekend? Um, if Matt Kenseth wins again, hopefully Ross Kenseth, his son, doesn't get too excited like this past weekend. Uh, he was driving home from college and listening to the race on the radio and when Kenseth won, he uh, had lead foot and got pulled over. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I hadn't heard that story. That's pretty neat. That's pretty neat. Yeah, I, I'll tell you what. I've uh, I, I, I'm also guilty of listening to an NASCAR race on the radio in the car and uh, <laughs> vicariously trying to do it with the foot with the gas pedal. So, good stuff, Seth. Uh, Richard, final thought for the evening. So, what's going to be the biggest out of Homestead this weekend? Is it going to be who wins the championship, or is it going to be Junior's final race? One or the other, or both. Seth said it could be an uncomfortable finish. Oh, that would be brilliant, wouldn't it? I don't think we'll see. I don't, well, really, I, I don't, I don't believe the NASCAR and spec cars are Homestead. Wherever, uh, wherever Junior finishes, they'll encumber every car above that. <laughs> I'll tell you what, if Junior goes out in the middle of the race... And has to uh, step out of his car, drop the window net down, and, and wave to the people to grandstands. It's going to be something else. But uh, I'd love to see Junior finish that thing in the top five. I, I don't know that he can win. He might. I mean, it'd be neat to see him win. If he does win, oh, I mean, people will take to fix it in. But <laughs> that car is going to be. I mean, do you think that car's just going to bypass inspection on the way to the grid by any chance? Well, oh, sure, yeah, you just, yeah. You just, everybody turns right. Judy, you just go left. Go left. That's fine. Don't worry about it. We know you're good. You wouldn't dare to try anything today. No, no, no. And it's, and it's you know, it's a, it's an odd, it's going to be an odd moment for the sport, you know, Judy. And we saw it with uh, Jeff Gordy a year ago, you know. You got yeah, I mean, are, but it's, it's what pays the bills, you know. And, it's what pays uh, the bills, possible to sport, yeah. So, now, Chris, your final thought for the evening? Yeah, um... 
if Austin Cindric wins the truck championship, he'll have to have an amazing amount of luck to not get taken out by he'll have to run away from everybody else. That's the only way he's gonna win this championship because of how bad most sport was and how bad that was received. Well, if Austin Cindric wins the championship, he'll need security to get out of the track. Too. <laughs> yeah, so Joey um, well, tomorrow I've actually got an IndyCar test to go to. Uh, Chevrolet's going to be here at Texas Motor Speedway, so I'll be I'll be heading that up tomorrow, so that'll be fun. Um, my I believe that'll be my last track day of the year, so um, kind of unique. But uh, as far as this weekend goes, um, it's fitting that if this is the last time we see Kenseth and, and Junior, that they be going out together since they came into the sport together. Uh, they're tied to each other from the Bush Series days, so that's pretty fitting. Um, and you know, I mean, it'll, it'll certainly be interesting to see what, uh, what happens this weekend. I don't really have to really touch on IndyCar at all tonight, but, uh, I did read a article in Portuguese that in the fight car later this week. So, um, you can see that or. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, well, I've, we've I've, all that Matthias is going to be in that car. So. Well, a lot of that's supposedly a lot of that is tied to Canon and Brazilian TV and stuff like that. So I look, I don't run a few things. Um, Bobby that knows the sport in that uh, has has for five decades but um, I would like to have seen somebody like Connor Daly get a little bit more time because I think the biggest thing and if he lose one of his articles is a guys like that need stability and continuity and structure I, those are the things that that really sit with a lot of people and, and allowing room for growth I mean there's a reason why we've seen Daniel Ricardo grow from the junior team to the senior team in, in F1. You know, he grew into those shoes. We saw Vettel do it from BMW Sauber to Toro Rosso to the senior team at Red Bull to now Ferrari. And, you know, you look at it from, from Joseph Newgarden um, in that situation. So uh, I know Chris wants me to mention Sage Karam, so just for the sake of Chris, I will. Uh, there you go. I mentioned Sage Karam. But I think that, um, you know, 20... 31, no, 29 or 31 starts somewhere in that bracket, came on strong late in the year, proved his worth on road courses, ovals, etc. Since you're going to give me a second final thought, and we're going to talk about IndyCar a little bit, that would be my final thought on that, is that we've got to have some some structure in place to give some of the younger guys, especially guys with personality, and can resonate with the modern-day fan, especially millennial generation, uh, a chance. And um, So hopefully that happens in the near future, and he gets another shot. Uh, and for Foyt, they're certainly building on their year. And they're doing it opposite of us. They're doing it with a veteran who's won at every level in IndyCar. And they're bringing on, potentially, bringing on a kid, ready to announce a kid that uh, is also Brazilian, keeps that South American flow going, and um, could be very, very fast in IndyCar for years to come. Yeah, back to uh, the point of, I read the same uh, Robin Miller article you did. And it's like, yeah, I think that head gift for shake when you compare him to Newgarden, who was... Uh, if lack of a better word, nurtured by Fisher and the engineering team, that team, you know, Hartman, and they just, they kept him, they stuck with him, and they put him in a situation to win when that team merged with Ed Carpenter's team. Um, Joseph was right there, and look where Joseph is now. Uh, Robert, I mean, I think, Roger Pesky driver, uh, champion, and um, ready to take on the world. Connor, Connor the did thing, not have the same opportunity. Well, here's the thing, though, and then we can wrap this, this little bit up on it. Uh, is this new garden approach, everything, and attacked everything very diligently, very methodically. And he made sure that he was going through the rivers in a real little thing. He wasn't, and I, it's going to come off as a slight or a slight, and it's not meant to. But he wasn't. Well, we, uh, he all, wasn't we all know you're kind of snide. So. Yeah, but he wasn't 
he wasn't doing what Carter was doing for a little while, and that's, you know, Instagramming dead mouse parties and, and, and concerts and things like that. Wasn't necessarily embracing the rock star persona, and for a while there were some questions as to where Connor's commitment really was. And we've seen that he's, he's changed up his diet. He's over here Instagramming more about him being in the gym and working out and things like that and, and taking things more professionally because he knows that this opportunity isn't for long and he's working to get back in it because the talent's there, but is the mind there? And we're seeing there, and that's certain is that Joseph's mind's in a game for quite a while. They both have the same level of talent. It's extraordinary, but it's just a matter of the mental capacity of where we're at in the sport. And it reminds me of if Connor finds a place to, you know, you know, just space out next year. So we'll keep our fingers Agreed. crossed for him. There's very few seats left. Um, my final thought, um, and I'll go back to the NASCAR championship weekend. We've got four different guys here who uh, you could, you could each make a claim to be a good champion. Um, and four guys who can each claim to maybe does deserve a championship. So that being said, uh, we'll see what happens in um, Homestead. It's gonna be it's gonna be a barn burner. Hopefully, it won't be the uh, safer barrier burning up, but uh, we'll see what happens there. Uh, I want to thank uh, Who's Ready Never hosting us. I want to thank you, Gray, Richard, Joey, Seth, Chris, for a great night tonight. Um, the uh, listener, have a good night. Thanks. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 